I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Good afternoon. This is Kristen Sinanta Walker, and we are doing shows for the In My Mind Mental Health Conference that is being held in October of 2018 in New York. For more information about this fantastic venue that we've been supporting, I think, for two years now, you can go to www.dbgm.org. Our guest today is Dr. Ajua Osei. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be invited. Absolutely. So tell our listeners a little bit about your background first, and then we'll get into what you're going to be talking about at the conference. Yes. Um, so I'm a clinical psychologist I'm currently practicing uh, with a private practice in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I identify as Ghanaian American. Um, and, uh, as far as uh, regarding like my sexual identity, I identify as bisexual or pansexual or queer. And in terms of your your work, you're working in inpatient and outpatient settings, and you're working with various mental illnesses and stressors. So talk a little bit about you know, where your research lies and the community you know that you're supporting. The, and also, I read therapeutic uses of hip hop. Tell us about that too. Oh, yes, yes. Um, so I'm currently, uh, I've worked mostly in outpatient settings um, and worked a lot with underserved populations and communities of color. Um, and so as far as research interests, uh, currently I'm really focusing a lot on the LGBT community um, in Africa. Um, and I did do some brief, brief stuff just looking into therapeutic uses of hip hop, um, which was basically just a couple presentations I did that was looking kind of more as kind of how music and ways that could be used as far as like analyzing lyrics um, and kind of how that could be used in a way to help people kind of express themselves or identify kind of certain themes within their lives, whether it was dealing with trauma or stress um, or any other kind of uh, stresses within their life. Interesting. So what are you going to be talking about at the conference or presenting about this year? Um, so my hope as far as with the conference is I really kind of want to focus on this idea or the stereotype um, looking at uh, this prevalence of focusing 
and kind of on thinking about Africans as like heterosexual only. Um, there's kind of sometimes this myth or this belief that um, homosexuality or the LGBT community is something that came over um, from Europe and is related to colonialism. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of like this um, silencing um, of the community, of, you know, Afro-queer community that's been around, you know, forever, but there's this kind of prevailing stereotype. Um, so I really want to look into research that kind of challenges that and then looking at how that might relate to current like homophobia and current like oppressive practices um, and how it might be related to that history. Interesting. So you also um, have experiences working with minority doctoral students. How has that been for you? Well, I definitely relate because it's stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So it kind of brings me back to that moment. Um, But I did my dissertation that looked specifically at Black doctoral psychology students Mm -hmm. and looking at kind of what additional barriers um, that they faced within their programs. Because there was a sense of initially coming into the program and feeling like an outsider. And so what came out of that study focused a lot on looking at relationships and how professional and personal relationships kind of shaped their experience within the program and kind of coming up with just like recommendations of kind of how to make the programs be more inclusive. Interesting. How is that for you being, you know, coming in from the outside yourself and seeing someone that's, you know, really struggling, um, feeling like an outsider in their life as well, and then getting hit with it in a professional situation um, or, you know, a student situation and where they may give up and you're trying to provide them support to not do that, please be another voice here. How, how have you seen that develop for you and the people that you've worked with and tried to help? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard because, you know, on one hand it's, um, you know, I've been through the experience for myself. And so to see someone really kind of, you know, struggling and, you know, questioning whether they want to, you know, quit or not, you know, there's a part of me that wants to turn into a cheerleader and be like, you can do it, you can do it. Um, But I think each of us kind of has our own boundaries. And I think one of the kind of great pieces of advice that I got was, you know, kind of knowing for yourself, what are some boundaries, what are some things that you feel like you really want to be assertive about and stick up for yourself, whether it's feel like feels like you're being one thing that came up was kind of feeling like they were held to different standards or that they were treated differently than some of their peers. Um, And I definitely experienced that when I was in the program and, you know, each person that I talk to or work with is kind of, you know, formally or informally is kind of just thinking about kind of what are some of your boundaries, because there might be certain things that happen where you feel like this is something really important. You want to speak it up. You want to bring it to administration. And then there might be other moments where bringing that up might damage a professional relationship that you might need, whether it's for like a recommendation letter or what have you, and kind of knowing for yourself kind of what are some of those lines. Um, The other thing is I really kind of stress the importance of feeling like you have a community that's outside of the program. Um, I fortunately had the opportunity to um, participate in the uh, New York chapter of the Association of Black Psychologists, which was so supportive Mm. for me when I was going through the program because I felt like that was kind of a safe space where I could go and really speak about what I was going through and get, you know, not only feedback, but just those moments where someone could be like, yep, that was racist when that person said that. So I'm not, so I didn't just make that up. I'm not just triggered. This really is a a valid, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
That's such an interesting thing too. I love that you use the word boundaries because everybody can relate to that. And, um, it's, it's very stressful when you're trying to be there with someone who's going through an emotional experience and also a very real, um, experience of racism or sexism or whatever it may be. And where, where, how far does your help help them. I mean, in some ways I've noticed with people, you know, if you tend to be an enabler or pretty codependent, you're going to possibly cross some boundaries and trying to help people. And that doesn't really help them because some things that pain has to be experienced in order to give them the grist to, um, to rise up and stand against it. But then you also want to be supportive. So where do you, um, you know, sort of meter yourself on the boundary spectrum on, you know, not being an enabler, but also being a cheerleader and, and also backing off when necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really kind of, yeah, hard to think of like where to kind of establish that line. Um, right. Cause I really kind of want to think about for that person and kind of what, you know, what are their kind of goals and what are they hoping to kind of get out of the program and just kind of what their expectations. I think sometimes talking um, with some of the people that have like mentored officially or unofficially is kind of what their expectations have been before they got into the program, Mm. um, what it's been like for them once they got in the program, and then kind of what's their hope of kind of what they hope, you know, what they're looking to do next when they finish the program. Um, Because then I think from there, it can give me a kind of better sense of how, whether I'm going to be kind of in a more supportive role or whether it's going to be really someone who wants to be kind of more action oriented, they hold the program to a higher standard, um, their expectations might be higher. Um, I think sometimes that can help guide me because I don't want to too much just put my experience and assume that their experience will be like mine because I tended when I was in the program to want to let a lot of things go because I felt in the longer run, if this was someone who... I didn't actually have a close relationship with, they weren't going to have any significant impact in my training. And I felt they weren't going to be really receptive to any feedback or any interventions. And I was more kind of willing to let it go because I felt like my focus was really kind of, I'm in this program and I want to finish. <laughs> yeah. And, um, <laughs> enough, just trying to get to the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to get to the finish line. And I also felt that there were people outside of the program I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. I definitely there were people in the program that I connected with, but I also felt I had started to kind of build a network or community outside of the program. Mm. Um, and so I felt that that was something 
you know, that I had certain relationships I knew outside the program that I, I planned, you know, on keeping, connect, you know, connections with those people. Right. How have you noticed, um, you know, the difference between the female experience and the male experience in the community that you're in and this and what you're studying? Um, as far as uh, what I'll be speaking about at the conference? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so kind of what I'm coming across initially is I notice a lot of the research tends to focus more on um, male relationships, and mm-hmm. there's not a lot of relationships um, either looking at uh, women or looking at like uh, gender nonconforming people. A lot of the right. early research, or at least the one I'm coming across, is focused a lot more on men. Um, and so it hasn't been, yeah, it's been hard to kind of hear more of those other voices. And I'm kind of at the point where I'm at the research of not fully understanding kind of what that means or why that focus was more on men. I don't know if it has to do, you know, I guess with intersections with power and, and gender and and things like that. So, um, yeah. (laughs) So I am definitely curious about that as well. Like kind of what that was about, that distinction. Yeah, absolutely. That's the first thing when you started talking about, I was like, Oh, I wonder what the, what that, um, if there were any, I'm sure I knew there would be, but what that's looked like. So tell us about um, something that I loved reading and sounds really fun, the therapeutic uses of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had, um, when I was during doing my internship, there was, you know, given the opportunity to kind of look at and present on some things that are areas of interest for us and kind of just, I think, through an article, by chance, I just came across this idea of like hip hop therapy. Um, I had also heard about it. Actually, now I'm realizing from a colleague who has done a presentation about it at a conference that I went to. And so it's kind of just been more uh, informal area of interest for me. Um, one, I just love hip hop. I grew up with hip hop, and it was just like this feeling that you know, music in many ways is like therapeutic. And I was kind of curious, like what hip hop therapy would look like. And so there's actually someone who had made her own curriculum, and I wish I could remember her name right now, and the name of the book, had structured sessions around kind of using hip-hop. And so part of it would even just be starting off kind of with like a quote or a lyric that spoke to people, and then it would kind of turn towards kind of like I think the lyrics and kind of um, thinking about kind of certain themes that might have been spoken about in the music. And so, and then also one of the things she had that I've come across is kind of when starting off with hip hop, because one of the presentations I did, a lot of people were concerned about it being kind of negative and some of the language and stuff like that would be used. And so uh, this researcher had mentioned kind of starting off with who that person might be interested in, like who's one of their favorite hip hop artists, and then kind of starting off with songs that they know, but then also looking at their music and looking at, look at all these other themes that they talk about, look at all these other songs, you know, they have that address other topics and kind of broadening it from there Mm -hmm. and then starting to introduce other artists. So it's not solely about just kind of picking music that we might think like, oh, this is very positive. So we just focus on, but no, right. it's like kind of looking at hip hop as something that's, you know, diverse. There's like diverse voices. People are speaking to different experiences. And right. so it's not something that has to be rigid or focused on one thing, but how to kind of broaden someone's like uh, vocabulary when it comes to music and, and then also use it as a way that can be for them to feel like they can express themselves. Mm, interesting. That must have been a, a fun piece for you to study. <laughs> It was great. I was like, oh, I get to play this Jay-Z song and talk about it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. This is the fun part of my work. Not that all of it isn't fun, but 
What I always ask is we have so many and listeners, forgive me, because I know you hear me say this every time I'm talking to someone in the field, but we do have a lot of listeners that are in school, they're in somewhere in process or they're in practice or they're, you know, already out or they're wondering, is this the right field for me getting into mental health and behavioral health? So I always ask why this um, specialty for you? Why was this your calling? You know, it, it, and it's weird. It came around like in a roundabout way um, because it wasn't something I always thought I wanted to do. Um, initially, when I was uh, in school and undergraduate, I really wanted to work in the film industry and I wanted to be a docu, uh, work in documentaries. Um, that was kind of where my passion was and honestly, probably still part of passion. <laughs> um, but what drew me to that is I just loved hearing people's stories and kind of coming to understand, you know, who that person is and what part of their experiences, you know, past experience shaped them. Um, and so for a while, kind of had a brief, I went out to California and got a little taste of like the film industry. And I was like, no, I don't think this is for me. Um, and kind of came back and think like, well, what else would I want to do? And so I kind of started taking some continuing education classes that focused on psychology. And I was like, oh, this is something that's interesting to me. And from there, decided to go and get a master's. Um, but I think what really drew me is just the idea of wanting to understand people, like wanting to, with someone, kind of look at their own narrative and help them construct their narrative and think of places where they want to make change or they want to do things differently. So it's kind of like each person I work with, and sometimes I feel like we come into session with all this raw footage, all this raw mm -hmm. footage, you know, film in front of us. So we can edit it in so many different ways, you know, and by telling their narrative, by telling their story in some ways that there's something healing about that. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for that. That was beautifully said. You should write that down if you haven't already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's funny. I had, um, I had a old supervisor who said like each, therapist kind of comes up with their own metaphor for therapy yeah and so for him it was like learning a new language and I guess for me it's like making your own film your own documentary film <laughs> I love that well Ajua thank you so much for coming on and please tell our listeners where can they find out more about you specifically oh, oh definitely yes so I have um, a website it's my first name Ajua A-D-J-O-A-O-S eipsyd.com. Fantastic. Well, again, thanks for coming on, and I can't wait for our team to meet you at the In My Mind conference in New York this year. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to speak with you today. Absolutely. And I want to say thanks to our listeners for another edition of Mental Health News Radio. good intentions i heat up and act on my emotions thanks so much for listening to mental health news radio our podcast can be found on itunes stitcher and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com if you have a question or would like to be a guest become a podcaster on our network or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.